We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're looking at the Battlestar Galactica two-part episode, The Gun on Ice Planet Zero. The Galactica and the fleet are being herded along a path, and Adama doesn't like it. A forward patrol discovers an ice planet. When Starbuck and Boomer go to investigate, their new cadets completely ignore Starbuck's orders and are destroyed by Cylons. All except Kree, who is forced down. The planet has a massive weapon on it, called a pulsar which can destroy all the ships in the fleet unless it is put out of action. Adama has the computer pick out a strike force to attack the planet. Starbuck, feeling guilty that a warrior under his command might be captured just because he completely ignored Starbuck's orders and his own stupidity got him captured. To ease his guilt, Starbuck hacks the computers and gets his name added to the list on the assault team. The rest of the team are all prisoners with specialty experience. Apollo says farewell to Boxy, who who wants to go along because he's never seen snow. Soon the team is shot down over the planet and they discover they obnoxious little Boxy and his damn daggett stowed away on the almost certainly suicide mission. On the planet, the warriors, who are effectively on foot, are discovered by Theta-class lifeforms, aka clones, created by Ravershall who also created the Pulsar weapon for the Cylons. The clones are willing to help because the Cylons view them as less than human and use them as slaves. Ravershaw has been turning a blind eye to the Cylons killing with a weapon, which goes against his supposed pacifist ideals. So ultimately he gives Apollo the info he needs to destroy the Pulsar. As the fleet approaches certain death, our heroes blow stuff up, rescue Kree, free the clones from Cylon tyranny. Oh, and there's some drama with the criminals trying to escape and do criminally stuff along the way. The end. Gun on Ice Planet Zero. Poor, poor Did you man. say little I said little Oh my god. I'll say it again. When, no, you when did a character already. when a character does that, that is the absolute bankruptcy of writing on the writer's part. And you know, I, I, well, I well, you know you're not gonna get any disagreement out of me. I mean, I thought that entire thing was handled badly. They just were looking I, I don't know, they thought maybe it'd be cute or maybe they needed just some plot device in order to get Muffet in order to bring the Thetas over to rescue. How how hard would that have been for the Thetas to stumble across the people dying? Well, that would have been a heck of a lot easier. And that whole bit about uh Apollo saying, I'm gonna be gone for several days, you know, and you get that whole spiel like, hey, you know, uh, I kind of have to believe that, you know, Boxy has seen his his new stepdad kind of go on extended patrols several times now. So this is beginning to be old hat. Yeah, it, it's like the problem I, I see here is that Boxy should understand that his dad's in the military yeah. and that their whole world has been destroyed by the Cylons. And every mission his dad goes on is a military mission against Cylons. He doesn't yet, go on any joy trips at all. No, although they don't treat it like that. No. And they, they not only, um, I mean, okay, Apollo doesn't emphasize the seriousness of these missions to Boxy. And I don't know, maybe there's some writer justification saying, you know, Boxy's been traumatized with the loss of his mother. 
So Apollo doesn't want to do that. But at the same time, I find that to be highly irresponsible and somewhat disingenuous at the same time. Yep. And, and what does he give him as he's leaving? Here, could you hang on to this incredibly valuable possession that I have while I'm gone? If that doesn't say I'm not coming back. I don't know what does. Yeah. I mean, Boxy's either the dumbest kid on the in the fleet. And mm, I don't I think he's supposed to be. Although I do appreciate the fact that he's not supposed to be a particularly bright kid either. I mean, he's not, you know, super genius kid at any point but Mm -hmm. but you know he's he's just a kid but i mean it it just he seems old enough that he should understand that this is really a stupid idea really stupid idea and he should be dead and and i don't mean that because i i you know want to see him dead Uh, he should be dead because he was in the snow ram stowed away when they crashed a ship where they were all beaten up rather senselessly and they were strapped in mm-hmm. you know he should have just been flung around and broken like a rag doll not even yeah. being prepared for a crash exactly so oh and he didn't do anything that's the part that really gets me he didn't no, actually play a part in this story no no he didn't um it was merely a means to have muffet there and even again i find that to be just the weakest of possible justifications and apart from finding the clones, all Muffet did was actually be a problem because he like growled at the Cylons and they nearly hurt him. Mm-hmm. Like this is even worse. He he is a dog like creature and he's just as bad. <laughs> you know he's you know I'm I frankly I think Muffet's a lot smarter than Boxy. So he I, he's, he's not right. He's not a dog. Daggett. He's not a Daggett. Right. I can't right. help thinking that he has intelligence. He's got to be programmed. Well, he was programmed to learn. We remember Uh that from the pilot. So there's got to be a capacity to be smarter than your average Daggett. And that's, yeah. I mean, he doesn't talk or anything like that. But I just just feel like when they're like, you know, be quiet, Muffy. You got to actually be quiet. You know, I I wouldn't expect a dog to be quiet in those circumstances. But I do expect a robotic cybernetic organism that, I don't know. Uh, But, you know, they they didn't do anything. The only thing I can think of is... And, you know, I don't think we've talked about this, but, but Battlestar Galactic had some issues with its scheduling. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of in a family time zone. And they had to do stuff to be a little more family friendly. And I kind of maybe this about is it. That. Screen time for the kid. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I suspected. Oh, but it really, really it hurts. Chaffed. It makes for bad writing. Yeah. And speaking of bad writing, um, and I'm going to admit it right now, I've never seen the movie, but I know enough about it to know that this is a ripoff of the Guns of Navarone. Right. And, uh, and, and that's considered one of the greatest war films of all time, uh, in addition to an Academy Award winning best picture film, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and it's a far cry from this. It's got to be a far cry from this. Mm-hmm. It's similar. I mean, I ran through the skim through the plot of Guns of Navarone just because I was pretty sure that this was a ripoff of it from what I from what I knew of the film. And there are the similarities, like there's a big gun emplacement that's preventing something from happening that will slaughter something, and you have to send a crack team in to to destroy it. But I get nothing from in Guns of Navarone anyway, that the team is like criminals that have been popped out of jail because they got explosives stuff like that. It's it's nothing like that. So it's a little bit more straight up soldiers. Why did we do that subplot here with the criminals? Uh, I don't know. And to, and to be honest, now, I knew nothing about the guns of Na- Navarone. I knew nothing. I didn't bother to read up on it. So I actually thought maybe there was this subplot involving criminals in the original story. 
not that I can tell. It's there is some there is some personal drama, like one guy blames the other guy for the death of his wife, and so he's promised to kill him when the mission's over. And that, I mean that that oh. trope. But I didn't see anything in there about them being anything other than yeah, you know, they might be resistance fighters or something. But but you know, not not people you pulled out of a jail. That's a that's a different film that I can't put my finger on somewhere. Mm. There there is one like that, not just the Suicide Squad. <laughs> this is another classic film where where they have to pull a team of of you know misfits criminals um but i i couldn't i couldn't bring it to mind crawl <laughs> actually come to think of it there's probably a whole bunch of films that that follow that trope so but even there that subplot didn't really go anywhere either no it didn't it's just there it's like at at one point, you know, they decided we're going to kill a couple minutes by talking about escaping and holding Apollo at gunpoint. And that didn't go anywhere. And, you know, they could have just killed him off one by one if that's what they wanted to do to him along the way. Um, but, it, yeah. But they yeah. sort of they sort of telegraph that whole thing when you see you've got the, the first of the criminals that we meet. Turns out he's going to be the quote unquote honorable one. Yep. And everybody else has got their own agenda. And at that point, it's like, okay, everybody else, fodder. Yep. Total fodder at that point. The guy who's honorable is going to make it out and probably get a pardon at the end. Although we don't even find out if that happened. We don't see that, no. And And it wasn't promised either. I I actually, I I was kind of wondering, because I have not seen this episode since its initial airing. Ah, bliss. (laughs) I know. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, and because I hated it when I saw it then. So I never, anytime I hadn't, huh, how do I put that? Anytime there was an opportunity for me to see it again, I clearly bypassed it. It's, it's no, it's not good. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's well, not good. Well, let me put it this way. It's not as bad as I remembered it being. It's not two hours worth. No. Oh God, no, 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 no. There's a lot of padding in there, um, but it's not as hideously awful as I remembered it, but it's still stupid. Yeah. I mean, I sort of, I see how, okay, it's part of the, the overall story about, you know, getting the Galactica to get past the Cylon base and there's you know, the whole thing with Baltar acting like a complete loon. Mm-hmm. So uh, I see that this is part of sort of maybe the, the, the bigger arc, if you want to call it that. So I was able to appreciate it on that level. But aside from that, it, it's just it's it's just it felt like filler. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's an awful lot of filler in there. Um, I, I will say this. There was a, a scene in it that um, or two that if you want to call it a story arc, we can. And I don't think I've really noticed it the first time through Battlestar Galactica. But mm-hmm. uh, Baltar still really pissed about his leg. Yeah. There's definitely. Yeah, we're not going to revisit that at all. You know, his leg is his, you know, peg leg there that Adama mm-hmm. gave him. His limp. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and when he's sitting up in the chair and he's kind of uh, Adama, I, I realized he was he was patting that leg. The, yeah, you know, a like, lot. The leg. And then later on when you see him pacing around, he's he's exercising the busted leg. He's mm-hmm. or limpy leg or whatever it happens to be. So that's his um it's his obsession. Adama is his is his white whale. I oh think. god, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. You could <laughs> I th- you know, white haired Lorne Green is Moby Dick. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um well we might as well talk about it. Uh we might as well talk about it now while we're talking about Baltar and the Cylons. So uh not mentioned in my recap 
he's uh, he's forcing the Galactic. Well, I did mention this part. He's forcing the Galactica down a path. Mm-hmm. Okay. Once again, that whole three dimensional space thing is really giving oh, them some what problems. Three dimensions. <laughs> like, it's clearly giving them some problems there. But it's uh, not apparently. even two dimensional at this point. It's like one. It's like a space funnel. <laughs> yeah. We have to it's go down space this alley thing. So we're going to get blown up because we can't. Yeah. Because we have no idea on how to go up or down. Now, what I do kind of like about this is that clearly Baltar's ship is overcommitted. They basically say the same. They aren't strong enough to take on the Galactica because of all the losses they've had. But at the True. same time, the Galactica doesn't know that, so they can't risk it because they don't know the strength of the force coming up. So Baltar can use that to his advantage. They aren't going to come back because they don't know what they would be facing. And, of course, they're traveling fast enough that it takes a long time for base stars to catch up with them. That's why they had to bring in those reinforcements, and it took so long. So it's interesting that, you know, it, it's, this, there's not, it's not always Adama is the brilliant tactician here. He hasn't figured out what's going on behind him either. So there is, you know, some... That part kind of interested me. Then we get to the bit where Baltar sends all the fighters that they have to attack the Galactica just to, you know, keep them on their edge, to remind them that they're back there, even though they're past the point of no return because of their distance. Mm-hmm. Dama doesn't know that, so when the fighters get there and attack them, Adama has to assume that the fighters can get back home, which means that the base star is closer than he thinks, or closer than it is, right? That would, okay. be the, that would be the logical conclusion that you would draw from that, because you wouldn't send out your fighters on a Kamikaze 1 May mission, at least not yet. Mm. <clears throat> or at least they work on the assumption. So then they all come back, and th- we have these dialogues between Baltar and Lucifer, where Lucifer is is showing concern for the pilots, and even at one point tells you know Baltar, and he tells Baltar we're going to lose all those pilots, and well they're just machines, and and Lucifer says well we're all just machines, Baltar. Ooh, and that's uh, that's that's a rather uh, equalizing kind of statement, isn't it? Yes, and. It comes back to this, whether the Cylons are sentient, thinking, feeling life forms. And I think that's what they're trying to. And even the line races, when the troops are coming back and it's 30%, 30% are good news. 30% can make it back after all. And he says, okay, turn around and send them back out, get the Galactica. Baltar doesn't care. Baltar is treating the Cylons as dispensable electronic gear. Mm -hmm. Lucifer's like, well, it is kind of hard on the pilots. (laughs) (laughs) And and they clearly see it differently. I mean, not that it's a surprise, but Baltar sees them as machines. Lucifer sees them as, for want of a better word, people. Yeah, he does. And um, it's uh, it's just it's just. I, I really wish they could explore this more with the Cylons and their and their personality. Well, then you would have you had a real science fiction show. <laughs> oh, but wait a minute. They did that in the rebooted series. <laughs> and we know how... And well, <laughs> we don't have to discuss what we think of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not saying that they. You could, there are ways you could discuss it would be interesting, and then there's ways you could discuss it that it would not be so interesting. But then, you know, this is... I think part, okay, I will to a, to a point. When we're talking about the Cylons and their feelings and whatnot in the New Galactica, you are generally speaking talking about the human ones, the human generally, Cylons, yeah, not the robotic. There, we didn't see many. Didn't see many of those. Those were those were machines, and who knows what they could do. But my point is, is that here is something that is clearly a machine, not something that is almost a biological entity. The next level up that that mm-hmm. these guys are. 
I don't know. How, do, how you know? How did the troops feel about it? Would they ever rebel? You know, is is there ever a situation where the the Cylon troopers would go? Well, I'm not flying out there. I'll never make it back home. Because mm. I kind of get the feeling Lucifer might do that. He he's a pretty advanced model. I mean, well, we he's a more advanced model. I, I, I agree. Mean, he's yeah. like just just step beneath Imperius leader almost. He he's he's more devious. You know, you can tell that he's scheming. Underneath, and, and at the end, he has that line, you know, Baltar says, what, with all the forces you guys threw at them, and he still escaped, and, and Lucifer's response is, well, it was your plan. You're, yeah. And, and he goes, I suggest that we come up with a unified front to tell the imperious leader. That's just pure, absolute CYA mm-hmm. activity there. I mean, he's... he's and, and Baltar's like, yeah, you're right. That's what we need to do. So, I mean, they are... In many ways, I feel their personalities are more fleshed out than some of the colonial warriors. Uh, <laughs> in this Agreed. show. Uh, in this show. So, I'm going to get that. Talk about the silence when we had the chance. Um, when they are at the planet, at the beginning, I did allude to this. The cadets under Starbucks command all completely disregard his direct orders. Correct, yeah. Which gets them basically all killed except for Cree. Um, how, how, how forgivable is that even in a cadet? Um, you, you get grounded. The, the disciplinary action is severe. Um, you could get drummed out. I mean, we're, if we're talking real world, uh, you, that is... A court-martial rule, offense. Well, pretty much. It's, it's cardinal rule number one. You don't disobey a direct order. Especially if you're a cadet, trainee, whatever... Um, and but especially in this particular case, as a cadet, you don't do that. Now I could, and I'm I'm going to play devil's advocate, and I could make the argument that the reason they're more lenient is because this is a survival mission, or you know, they're in survival mode right now, and they can't afford to be. Uh, discarding potential Viper war- pilot warriors. They can't afford to be dispensing Vipers either, which is what well, they did. Well, that too, yeah. They lost three of them. I mean, I still think that they they, they need to maintain the air of um, order and discipline. You know, I... But, you know, but the, that's the other thing. It's, I mean, even from the very beginning of this show, every time we turn around and see any kind of behavior, I mean, everything is very lackluster oh not the right word not the but word it, right. it's 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 nothing's being taken seriously yes and again maybe it's because we are in that family friendly time slot so we don't want to come across as too heavy-handed you know but i still think they could at least have better writing in that respect and and there are a, a couple of occasions in in the the pilot movie where we did actually see a moment here or there where there was some stern talking down to, you know, specifically Apollo chewing out Starbuck and Boomer. So that discipline does exist. But I don't think that they're giving, they're not doing themselves any favors by, by picking and choosing when to apply that in a storyline. Yeah, I think that, you know, in, in the course of melodrama, um, maybe maybe true military discipline doesn't work terribly well in in melodrama, um, and 
there are many, many instances. I watched a show just earlier today, um, something completely different, where we have somebody who is in the military chain of command, and they are unable to contact their superiors for orders. They are on the ground. They know that the standing order is to not do this thing, launch nuclear missiles in this case, uh, but because they are unable to, you know, they have a plan that may save the entire planet, but they can't get to the president, so the guy takes it on himself to do it. You know, that, that narrative of one man taking action and saving the day really plays into a deep-rooted American stereotype that's drummed into us from childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, one man can, you know, tame the world! And so I can see how you'd want to do that, but you can do that in a better way, like that particular instance where, you know, you are military, you are, and this guy was an admiral, so I mean, it's not like he was a grunt soldier. <laughs> You know, this was a, this was a guy trained in command, tra- trained in command decisions, and he had to make a decision for himself. And it could have paid off, or it could have gone horribly, horribly wrong, and he would have died for it anyway. I can see that one for the purposes of drama, but in this case, Starbuck tells them, "No, don't go down. No, I'm just going to go down and check a look." I mean, he's literally in communication with his commander, right? <laughs> Telling him not to do it. And he goes, we'll do it anyway. I'm going to go do it anyway. I know. No, I, don't do it. I was like, I, no, that's just beyond I, the pale. I, I, I agree. I agree. I found it egregious. I, I seriously did. I was rather, uh, I wouldn't say horrified, but I was very disturbed that they would show that. It, it, it was very bothersome to me. And so that leads us to Starbucks obsession. <laughs> I've got to rescue Cree. He was under my command. It's like, no, actually, he wasn't under your command, Starbuck. He did exactly what you told him not to do. Right. So it's he's not. I mean, okay. so technically, in one respect, yeah, he's under Starbuck's command. But the guilt, because that's what Starbuck is feeling. It's not a sense of responsibility. He is feeling guilt. Guilt. And it is a total false guilt. It's like, I, yeah. Well, guilt is not necessarily a logical emotion anyway. No, but in this particular case, it is a false guilt because it's coming from an incorrect place. Well, I shouldn't have taken him on the mission in the first place. He wasn't ready to follow orders. Or, you know, I mean, he he could justify it in his own brain any way he wants to. But, yeah, it's completely wrong. But we weren't even shown that. If Starbuck had said, hey, Kree, orbit orbit the planet counterclockwise and see if you can see anything, and then Kree had gone down, 100%, I'm with Starbuck on this. He's guilty, or he feels guilty, even though somebody had to do it. I mean, again, this falls into a military person sometimes has to send people off to their death. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Adama has just sent them out, and they could have gone to their death. So, I mean, you know, that is that is the nature of this job. But in that case, if he'd been following Starbucks' orders and he'd been shot down, then, you know, Starbucks' guilt makes much, much more sense in the course of this episode. Yeah. Um, and and they could have easily done that, right? There was There was no... There was no benefit to those guys disobeying orders and getting shot down. Why couldn't the Cylons just have come up and shot them down? <laughs> it's like, it, it just didn't, it's like, I feel like they were going somewhere with these things, and yet they didn't. Makes you wonder if they were using uh, the same writers from Star Lost. <laughs> no, those people never got another job. Never, never, oh. ever. <laughs> Ever. Okay. I'll Just one of that. them. One of them did. That Harlan Ellison guy got a few <laughs> jobs after a while, but uh, uh, no more. But uh, yeah. Um, why does the beam bend every time it comes out of that pulsar? 
Do you notice that? No, actually, I didn't. It doesn't look like it, be- it bends to you. I can remember that when I was a kid. It comes right out of the mountain, and it has like a little, I don't know, 20-degree crook just as it comes out and shoots across the mountain. It's like, what? what? I wasn't, I, I didn't catch that. May, I, maybe I just simply wasn't paying enough attention. Maybe I'll put that up as a screen cap for this podcast when I when I post it. Just <laughs> I'll grab one and put it out there so people can see it. But maybe it's my TV. But I remember this happening when I was watching it as a kid, too, so... I think it's I think it's part of bad optical effects. Mm. Um, so do we do we believe Starbuck can hop into the computer and hack his way onto that list? No, he's not that good. I, you know, it's funny. I'm when I I kind of appreciated the dialogue when the when he went into the computer center and the guy says, "Well, you fly a Viper pilot. You need to know all this stuff." Oh, I wasn't paying any attention. I mean, Starbucks obviously mm. sandbag in there. So yeah, maybe, I mean, how hard is it to get your name stuck on a list? I, I, I'm not sure, but it just, at least it wasn't made out to be some sort of major hacker thing. It was just really, if you just get me on the console for a while, I can, I can type my name in, something like that. It was, it was, uh, and that was a hell of a list, by the way. Oh, yeah, it was, wasn't Dot it? Matrix, that was a beauty. Spe- oh, speaking of television anachronisms, I love watching a television anachronism in action. And... <laughs> This is gonna this is gonna strike you as a weird one, probably. You know, we've talked about how if you look at an old show and it pretends to be in the future and they don't have cell phones, they missed that. Right. You know that I mean, kind it's, of thing. It's, it's a very yeah. strange retro look at the future. Right. Every once in a while, you see something in a show that's that you could reasonably expect to be unchanged in the future at the time, but when you get there, it's gone or it's totally very al- yeah, it's totally altered. different. Have yeah. you have you seen in the last twenty years a backpack with an aluminium frame? Oh my god! They don't make them anymore. No, all of those were old Kelty packs like they had on Land of the Lost. Mm. I mean, the old metal aluminum frames stretched over. I'm like, well. <laughs> <laughs> That's that surprisingly jarringly retro. When I watched them crawl through, the thing, I'm like, "Those are wow. Those are antiques. Those are, yeah. They're all they're all internal frame now. And I don't know if there's any that have metal still, but you know, they're all internal frames. You can't see the frame anymore. And I think they're all plastic. Um, I hate backpacks with a passion, so I don't own any. But uh, uh, I don't I don't work with one either. I mean, I've got a shoulder bag. Yeah, that's different. But I mean, I when I was a kid, I, I had a backpack. When I was a kid, I had one of those. You know, I thought, oh, this is cool. I love hiking. I'm gonna love camping. I want a backpack. I carried a backpack once. I said, who'd want to do that? It's like that's no okay. fun at all. <laughs> that's like work. That's what animals are for, or something, or cars. No, I'm not doing that. But anyway. So that's last time I had a backpack, but uh, but I do occasionally look at them and I marvel at how completely different they are. And I look at them and I go, I wonder if that's any less hateful to carry. And then I and I think, well, I should get one. And then and then I talk myself out of it because it's a stupid idea and I'm never going backpacking. But anyway, um, what have we got? We already talked about Boxy needing to have a blaster bolt put between his eyes. Yeah. Uh, Apollo two for not having a conversation with him. About not stowing away on mil- how do you stow? Mm. <clears throat> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, fine. Um, we talked about the fact that the prisoners. Not only do we have the honorable commander who's probably trying to get his job back, uh, but we've got the the nasty guys, the antisocial murderer, the guy's wife. I mean, seriously, can the cliches be rolling any thicker? Didn't they know that those two were married? 
Apparently not. It's like, what, what, what is in that computer? Why do they carry a... Uh, sorry, I'm not, I'm not advocating. I'm not advocating the death penalty here, but why do they have a prison ship full of prisoners that they brought along? For this very episode. I could totally see that if you were on Caprica and you said, get every ship you can, and there were prison ships... I can completely and absolutely see them putting civilians on prison ships and, and letting flying the pr- them out. Prisoners. Actually, I could too. Um, could as you? inhumane as that may seem, I mean, with things being as dire as we were led to believe, well, Thomas said I they could were, see they them were doing leaving, that. They were leaving people behind, right? They and were left. leaving people behind. Yeah. They left a lot so, of people behind that were dying, clawing to get in. It's like, who would put them on the prison ship? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, I'm afraid you're in your cell and you're staying there. We've got tons of children and women to put on this ship instead of a bunch of bunch of criminals. And there's no doubt at all that I mean these are long term prisoners. Oh I yeah, mean, it's it's not like people who went to the prison barge uh, during the course of their exodus to Earth. I mean they were they were incarcerated prior to the uh, the destruction of the colonies. Right, right. They're, they're clearly this is all so they're know, prisoners. Boomers, ice planet experience, and all that stuff is all pre pre destruction of the colonies. So, and all these guys, their stations and whatnot, were all pre-colony. So why, why, why bring them along? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, guys, but why bring them along? Um, let's see. So we've got them, and then they, we have, we, they faff about with the breathers and the, glad they brought, oh, they killed somebody, so they had one for Boxy. Um, you know, all the stuff in the snowstorm and passing out and not having enough air and climbing the mountain. It's just a complete waste of time in the course of this story, um, which totally could have been made into a one-parter, except then they'd have had to fill another week of, uh, of TV that way. <laughs> which is probably why it was a two-parter. Theta class life forms. I can't think of the name of the actor who plays Big Beardy Guy. Oh, I can't either, but it sort of looked like Richard Widmark. Eh, yeah, it's not, but that guy was in a lot of things back in the 70s. Um, Denny Miller? I'm not sure. I think that's Denny Miller. All right, I won't swear to that, but I think it's Denny Miller. And then, of course, it's Britt Eklund is the the female. The female. I, I, you know, when I saw the first part of this episode, because I didn't watch them on the same day, I... They hadn't mentioned children yet. And I was kind of wondering, if you have... If you have a population of clone men and a population of clone women and you breed them, how much variation do you get in the children? You're not. Well, but, you know, well, you throw random, no pun it's intended, possible you after, throw random stuff when you're, yeah. when you're breeding and it's, it is a random combination of, of a variety it of... It will, there, there will, yeah, after a period, I mean, maybe a couple of generations, you might actually start to see variations actually occur. So I, I was saying, su- oh, I think you'll see them immediately. I think, I mean, look, look what happens if you have um, fraternal twins. No, maternal twins. Fraternal. The ones that don't look alike. Fraternal. Fraternal twins. Right? They don't look anything alike. That's because the the DNA that came from dad is different. You know, two two different outcomes to two different eggs, and you've got two different kids. And mm, true. so, you know, it, I would expect the same kind of variation to occur among them. What I was kind of impressed when I got to the second episode was that those kids were not meant to look exactly alike. I mean, yes, and they, they were didn't. all blonde-haired and blue-eyed, but, but they at least... 
they didn't hire the same kid and shoot him 18 times over just right. to, to create the point that clone clone babies clones babies are clones too because they wouldn't mm. be and that was i was i was kind of appreciative of that but yeah the, and, I, and I, oh i, I want to point out, it was denny miller it is denny okay great it is denny miller yeah he he played the uh here i'm gonna throw one out for you uh he played the actor who was playing the ape man on gilligan's island oh dear god the tarzan like guy that's reaching that is reaching that's amazing that's that's how i actually put him together with it because i i could cut his his voice and i'm back to the ape man guy mongo or whatever they called him and it's like oh yeah denny miller got it uh, before he had the beard. He had the beard. Um, why Theta class life form? Because it sounds cool. Oh, they're clones. We prefer Theta class life form. <laughs> it's like well, clone. That is such a derogatory term. Yeah, Theta class. Uh, that sounds to me like you're about at the bottom of the pole. <laughs> does doesn't it yeah which is exactly what the cylons thought they were and how about that are the how stupid are the cylons that they assume that clones are so subhuman that they're not humans even though they're cloned humans uh, we don't have to kill them we can enslave them all other humans we kill but those humans just because they all look alike we can keep alive <sighs> they don't the cylons don't make a whole lot of um sense no. So, at two different places in this episode, um, the Cylons, at one point, call the planet Kalpa. K-A-L-P-A. Kalpa. Hmm, and okay. at another place, <clears throat> I think the Colonials call it the planet Arcta. Now, here's the funny, which is fine. Okay, Cylons, Colonials have different names. Kalpa is the name that was on one of the printouts for the place that some of the criminals had been stationed when they were doing their ice tour duty. Hmm. I think it's just literally a stupid mistake. Could very well on someone's part in dialogue. But so the colonials call it Arcta. Where do we get the name Gun on Ice Planet Zero? Why is this not Gun on Ice Planet Arcta? (laughs) I don't know. It's Battlestar Galactica. What can I say? (sighs) Okay. I guess we'll uh I guess we'll let that slide, but but no. Damn it, no. (laughs) Hey, there are bigger things to worry about, like why the hell Boxy was on that damn ship. And why did he survive? And why did he Why did he survive? I can see how his dog could be useful, but not with the boy. You know, hey, Boxy, can we take Daggett Muffy with you? Okay, good. You stay here. Cassiopeia, lock him up. Mm. He'll be locked to his bedpost from now on if Apollo is smart. With any luck. I'm not sure he will. I have comments here. Basically, um, lots of waste of time. Um, lots of waste of time. And I'm in part two now. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, more wasting of time. Um, time wasting. Yes. <sighs> like, yeah, yeah. About as much as the episode itself. The, the whole episode itself. Uh, so what was the whole bit about... <laughs> You, uh, you are a humanoid. Humanoids have a, a neural cortex that can be tapped into. And so they put him in the machine and they bring the, the lights down and he kind of passes out. This is Cree we're talking yeah. about in the first episode. And, you know, initially I think they're going to torture him or remove his brain stem or, you know, something. But then later on, they take it out. And they say, oh, it's complete. They take it out or him out throw his cell in a freezer cell and the Cylon leader says, all right, I'll read his cortex later. <laughs> I don't even understand what they were doing. Neither do I. I thought they no were, idea. I thought they were like, you know, if it wasn't torture, then I thought they were tapping into his brain so that they could, you know, force him to reveal stuff. But did they just record a copy of it digitally? So ah, we don't need him now. So put him in cold storage. Why would they put him in cold storage then? Why not just kill him? 
it, it seemed to be a reason to keep him alive that seemed to have no purpose whatsoever other than to give Starbucks somebody to rescue. Again, useless padding. Useless padding. Useless padding. Here's another thing. Um, when they plow on into the Pulsar's field, and Adama mm-hmm. says we have to go, would it not have made a bit of sense? That's a couple things on this one. Would it not have made a bit of sense for Apollo not to have set the moment that he was going to blow the pulsar up to be the exact same moment that the Galactica was going to come into range? Oh. I mean, to the centon. I was wondering about that myself. See, Apollo, how about blowing that up 10 centons earlier? A bit earlier? Yeah. Just, you know, why? why? Well, we've got to do it by now. It was like, uh, uh, uh. you're actually well, waiting. something about having, I mean, and the whole the whole idea of having to, like, wait on Starbuck for him to do his own thing. I'm like, uh, that's really? Why did really, they have to do that? It, it's, there's nothing here that tells me that these two things have to take place within such a close proximity of time. Um, Apollo, you got the opportunity. Take it. Do it now. Well, I mean, in planting those bombs was very complicated. I mean, you had to you had to place them on the thing, and then oh, okay, yeah, that was it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's why they needed those experts in that's explosives, because. Right. Because, yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, th- I thought that the whole we're coming up to one centon and or millicentons at that point and just was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And the, the fact that they were the fact that they were perfectly synchronized as if Apollo had planned it that way. It's like that's bad planning, Apollo. Bad, bad planning on your part. Um, and then the other thing is when Adama says, well, we have no choice. Order the fleet. Flank speed. Later on, at Colonel Ty's suggestion, I think, is shouldn't we let the fleet all travel as fast as they can, right? And make yeah. their best. Remember that part? Mm-hmm. Do you know what flank speed is? Uh, to be honest, no, I don't. It's I as fast as you can freaking go. Okay, well, there it is. <laughs> like, it's, it's faster than emergency speed. It's damn the fuel, damn the, the equipment. It's as Runaway fast speed. as you can go. Right. It's, it's, a, you know, it's an older thing. Um, like if you're like talking about diesel ships, then flank speed is a waste of fuel. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, you know, there's top speed, there's full speed, and and then there's flank speed, which is just like floor it fast as you can, damn the consequences. We, you know, we're under attack or whatever it happens to be. It's faster than emergency speed, literally. <clears throat> so if they're already doing that, and the ships aren't all capable of running at the same speed as the Galactica, w- what was happening there? I, I, I think literally this is. They didn't bother to look up what flank speed meant. Well, that wouldn't be the first time that a rider did <laughs> Flank not... speed must mean slow, right? I mean, I, well, kind of what no, I always it's thought. Just, no, we, we're going to... Oh, this sounds really cool. Let's ride it in. So, Simple as that. Yeah. They just thought it sounded great. And, you know, it, and again, it's not the first time we saw something like this happen in... Uh, I hate to say it, but in a science fiction television show. I mean, you, you look at the sci-fi shows that were coming out on television at this time, and so many of them, as we have covered on Fusion Patrol, have got the worst science out there. Uh, even in terms of their the usage of terminology, we, they we, don't know what they're saying because we barely no call one, that science t- terminology. I mean, exactly, it's nautical terminology, right? Because no one bothered to actually do the research, and. I thought, I thought that was a standard practice. I mean, <clears throat> I thought that that you know, even 
even on just regular shows, they at least have somebody whose job it is to kind of look at the script and do a little research to make sure they're pulling some real boners. You know, you would think that. And, and I have seen uh, genre shows, you know, of, of the, the sci-fi slash fantasy era, especially in the late 70s, where they did do that. Well, so Star Trek had one. Um, oh, well, Star Trek prided on it. Okay, but, but here's the thing. Uh, I was reading a couple of articles about that, and they were saying at the time, you know, Star Trek employed a firm whose job it was to do some do some research on this, and they made a point of pointing out that, that this is a common thing in Hollywood, but that for Star Trek, it was a lot more work for this firm to do this work. And, and you're thinking, well, then so Hawaii Five-0 probably, you know, what, what does the guy do when he's working on Hawaii Five-0? Well, uh, yeah, we, but there, but you look at some of the medical shows that were. Well, on. there's a good one, right? Those those frequently had an actual doctor listed in the back as medical consultant. Mash always did, for example. Mm-hmm. Doc Dishel, I think, is MD. So yeah. Well, I think you know TV shows like Emergency. Yeah. I believe they did too because uh, the, the terminology for one was at least used in a correct manner. That and I have and I have heard Webb, actors yeah. and actresses who've worked on later shows. I mean we're talking into the 80s now where they were interviewed about the terminology like for um the tv series er uh, i've heard some of the cast talk about the education that everybody has to go through prior to doing a particular episode especially if they're going to be employing or showing some something new that the cast has never done before in terms of storytelling i mean it's not necessarily new as a medical procedure or it might be but if anytime they introduce this, uh, a new concept there's there's always somebody there to coach them through it so that it would come off as believable but see that's that's real science it's, yeah it's real fact checks and again it, it's it's also uh networks realizing where uh, or at least believing that those shows were taken seriously by the viewing public you know and this has always been my big gripe when it comes to a science fiction or a fantasy show that was all, that were that were network television shows during the 70s i mean so many of them just got the worst treatment imaginable why do you think we talk about them all the time <laughs> on this show because it's because they're crap because those shows were crap and a lot of the reasons why they're crap is because they didn't have quality and control writing in anything that they did, or at least in very little of what they did. Once in a while, they'd hit something right, but a lot of the times, they were getting it wrong. Uh, well, I guess for this particular uh, this particular bit of dialogue, we should administer a thousand cc's of Ringer's Lactate and uh, move <laughs> on. <laughs> Which was the, the one they used all the time on emergency. Okay. <laughs> That was, that was, uh, I remember that one pretty well. <laughs> like, anyway, um, what else have we got? Anything? No, I mean, why were they firing the Pulsar before the ships got there? That, again, that made no sense whatsoever. But there were other little things. I mean, the controls. Oh, God. Raising that thing every time you want to fire a shot. We're pumping it. Yeah. That's it. It's a pump. 
He did actually say there was a pump involved, didn't he? I guess. That was the thing they had to blow up was some sort of a pump. Uh, but it Still, looked ridiculous. It did look ridiculous for firing repeatedly. Yeah. Like, I, I made comment of that the, the second time they fired. It's like, wait, they have to rise, raise that again? Again. No. Yeah, because it discharged. And, yeah, I'd like to see that actually go you know, lower after a, after a discharge. They got the shot. And then they said, you know, we're making this into a two-parter. So we can show that at least 10 more times. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's exactly what the shots in front of the Galactica were. Oh, God, yeah. They were just and I like how time. some of them, you know, like there's one where it was so close that everybody just kind of jolted. It was like, oh, my gosh, that was so close, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know. Um, but they still weren't in range. Well, not only were they not in range, but like 30 seconds later when they are technically closer it flashes and nobody even flinches. Uh, Cylons aren't very good shots. I guess not. So they're aiming away. Yeah. Yeah. They're just firing at random. I don't know. It's like, I don't know. <sighs> just got to clear that funnel that the Galactica has to fly through. Mm. I just, oh, that is just the hard, of all the things in Galactic, that is the hardest thing for me to stomach is this. The Cylons keep forcing us down this path. I mean, they are so far out, and they, they're being chased by Cylons. Cylons don't force you down a path if they're behind you. They may chase you forever, but they don't get to shape your shape your path in such a way that you can be forced past a freaking planet. <laughs> and and it, that one gets more and more annoying every time I watch Galactica. It's that two-dimensional... Very two-dimensional thinking. To the extreme. I wonder if... I that's, wonder if. But that's been such a guilty... Uh, not a guilty, but uh, th- that has been the flaw in so many, so many science fiction shows. That's why I always applauded it whenever uh, something... you know, some, At some point in Star Trek, we actually saw an instance of three-dimensional thinking. Either, Wrath of Khan. Well, but not Wrath of Khan, but not just that, but also there was an episode in... Um, uh, well, it happened in Star Trek VI, the way the Klingon bird was firing at the Enterprise, and then we saw it again in the finale for Next Generation, where there was uh, the, the the Enterprise rams a ship at ninety degrees. Yeah, yeah, it would be it would be nice if space were big and empty and a giant sphere that you could fly in any direction in, and not like a flat lucite map <laughs> on the wall. Anyway, all right. Well, I got nothing else on the gun on ice planet Arcta or Zero or Alpha or whatever, whatever planet that was. The gun on ice planet Boxy's grave. <laughs> I'd rename that planet. I'd rename it. Anything I got else? nothing else. No, okay. I, I don't have a thing. Well, in that case, I guess uh, that's all we'll talk about tonight. Next time on Battlestar Galactica, when we look at it, it will be the magnificent warriors. Ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, it was so not a pleasure. (laughs) And listeners, it was a pleasure having you here, and we hope to see you all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers, you damn daggit! Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com, Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf. <laughs>